What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. My name is Brennan Schaefer, alongside you here on Monday, May 10th, as the Cardinals, for the first time in a while, are enjoying an off day today. Although they did have that off day last week because of the postponement due to rain, but then they had to play a doubleheader the next day. That doesn't really count because they still had to show up to the ballpark and put in a partial day. They just didn't get to play the game. So this was a full-on off day for the Cardinals as they get ready to take on the Milwaukee Brewers beginning on Tuesday. That's going to be a great series, and we'll preview that a little bit in today's episode. Wasn't totally sure that we were going to do an episode, but I mentioned at the end of last night's episode that if anybody had any suggestions for what we might be able to talk about today without a game going on, then I would consider them and potentially do something uh, a little bit shorter with y'all on this Monday. And uh, my buddy Shelby reached out on Twitter and had the idea that he just wanted me to talk about some potential trade candidates for the Cardinals as this summer progresses along. Because right now, look, the Cardinals actually, when they went to bed last night, and I believe as of right now, not many teams across the majors are active today. There's a lot of teams like the Cardinals enjoying a day off. So I'm not totally sure who's playing and who's not. But as of the moment, the Cardinals are the best team in the National League at 21-14. and 14. The San Francisco Giants a half game behind them at 20-14. and 14. And you've got the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Phillies all above 500 as well. In addition to the Brewers within the Cardinals' own division, Milwaukee enters the series beginning Tuesday at 19-16, and 16, two games back of the Cardinals. So... They're in position, obviously, to contend. That was the plan coming into the season. That is your intention when you go get somebody like Nolan Arenado. You don't do it just to to do it. You do it because you think you've got a chance to make some noise come October. But every team has their issues. Every team, as the season goes along, is going to have certain elements of the club exposed. And when you get into July, the opportunity often arises for those teams to be able to do something about it if they so choose. And I think this year, the Cardinals, though it's hard to tell at this moment in time what the needs of the team could be, we can speculate a little bit on what that might look like. I do think the Cardinals could be in position to add when it comes to trade deadline time rather than stagnate or as we've sometimes had to discuss in recent years, the prospect of them maybe subtracting at the deadline. And there have been times where they have effectively done that, even in seasons where they've been in contention It hasn't been enthusiastically in contention in some of those years. You remember the 2018 trade deadline where uh, Tommy Pham gets moved at the deadline. Somebody who was, in theory, contributing to the Major League Club at the time traded for Justin Williams and Henesis Cabrera, two players that are on the the present-day Cardinals. So that was an example of a move within a season that they were hoping to make the postseason. They didn't quite get there. But a move where, in that moment, they, they saw an opportunity to do something that they thought could better them for the future. We have uh, maligned that deal very much in the past on, on not only B-Shape Daily, but uh, in articles I've written for KMOV. Uh, certainly with Henesis Cabrera now contributing to the team, looks a little bit better may- maybe than it did at one point in time. And Pham has continued to deal with some different injuries uh, and has maybe not maximized his uh, career and his statistics to the extent that uh, you know he did that one season for the Cardinals. I don't know if that was 2017, if I'm remembering correctly, where he had the historic season batting 300, 400, 500 with doubles, home runs, and steals all above 20, I want to say that it was. Something no Cardinal had done maybe ever 
I always forget what the statistic is on that, if it had just been like 100 years or if he was actually the first to do it, I believe, with 20 doubles as well, I think was maybe what put him over the top. But since then, you know, he's kind of been a little bit of an up-and-down player, has continued to deal with injuries, which shouldn't be a surprise to Cardinals fans who uh, remember his time with St. Louis. When he was on the field, he could be an electric player, but, uh, you know, his, his career was delayed getting started in the major league level because of different injuries he had going on when he was trying to make his way through the minors. But for the Cardinals, I think this is going to be a season where, unlike that 2018 campaign, where maybe just a little bit of a mix-up and try to shake things up at the, at the trade deadline to propel that team forward, Tommy Pham was kind of struggling at the time, obviously was a better player than uh, what he was performing at the time they gave him up, but I think the thought was if you just kind of give things a different look to the clubhouse, maybe you can get something done and accomplish something. I think this year, though, for the Cardinals, it's very clearly going to be in the category, unless something goes drastically wrong over the next couple of months, they'll be in the category of trying to add at the deadline rather than anything else. It should be pretty obvious that they're going to, to, to try to make a run at things. As of right now, best record in the National League. You should hope that they'll be within striking distance, certainly, when we get into mid to late July and these decisions and conversations begin to take place on a more serious level. Right now, though, let's take a look at, you know, what could the Cardinals potentially need? What could we envision being a need for the Cardinals two months from now? Because that's when those conversations really are going to start to heat up. You, you know, the Cardinals historically have not made many moves in June, uh, even late June. It, it's always sort of been about getting that calendar to turn over into July and taking stock of where the team is at that point in time. I think this season, with all that's on the line for the Arenado situation, again, not that he's going to opt out, but you do have to have that in the back of your mind to say if if you're not putting the product on the field or, or supplementing the product in that clubhouse to expectations and, you know, you, you somehow miss the postseason or things go awry toward the end, you know, Arenado would be free to, to make his own decision at that point in time. I don't think the Cardinals are in a situation where they're going to want that to take place. I don't think it is going to take place, but it does bear mention. But that's where we look at this team. All right, what could they possibly need as they get into the stretch run of the season that could help them toward not only a division championship, but potentially a pennant or a, or a World Series title? And then the other part to that question, who are the players potentially that could be out there to fill the needs that we anticipate the Cardinals having? So let's dive into it a little bit. By looking at the roster they have in place right now, talking about the positions that we could envision maybe needing a little bit of a boost and what would have to happen over the next couple of months to facilitate that sort of situation. Obviously not a great situation if, if you're talking about players who are underperforming or positions of need because that means guys in-house that they currently trust to do those jobs are either not performing them adequately or are potentially hurt. Injuries obviously can take a toll on a team over the course of a six-month summer. And those are the kinds of things that we don't necessarily know how they're going to shake out. But we can look at where the Cardinals have been over the course of the first six weeks or so of the season. I think we're approaching that six-week mark. And based on that, say, okay, if this or that doesn't change, here's where the Cardinals could potentially look when it comes to the trade deadline. I think from an offensive perspective is where we can start with this conversation. The outfield was obviously an area that had a lot of scrutiny placed upon it entering the season a lot of eyes on how those guys that the Cardinals had planned around for those three spots were going to develop and kind of take the bull by the horns in this season where the Cardinals expected production 
but they knew that the guys that were filling those roles hadn't necessarily, as a group, experienced a lot of production to this point in their careers in the majors. Harrison Bader, obviously a more experienced player, having been around for the last several years, but offensively, it's been an up-and-down story for him, and the Cardinals were wanting him to really take that next step offensively. So far, he's done that, just 10 games to his credit so far this year because he started the year on the injured list. But so far, he looks like he's doing a, a much better job disciplined at the plate, doing some damage against both righties and lefties rather than just against left-handed pitching so far. So that's a good sign for Bader. With what he does defensively, I think, you know, and I've talked about this before. I Going back to last year, you know, last 18 months, I've talked about the Cardinals see Harrison Bader as that kind of player that can be one of the more valuable players in the league with just an average to slightly above average offensive profile because of how good he is defensively at a premium position like center field. So if he continues to do what he's done offensively so far in just 32 at-bats, he's got three home runs, eight runs driven in, his walks versus strikeouts, four walks, five Ks, that's a pretty good ratio uh, relative to what we've seen from him previously. Batting just 250, but that's you know perfectly acceptable. Uh, batting averages are down across the league. So if you look at a guy hitting 250 at this point in time, especially somebody bringing up kind of the rear of the batting order, like Harrison typically is either batting 7th or 8th, depending on who else is in there, uh, you'll take that all day, especially with the slugging that he brings to the table so far at 563 for an 887 OPS. I've talked about how last season at 779, he was an above-average hitter in one of the better offensive contributors from the Cardinals outfield a year ago. Granted, that wasn't exactly stiff competition. A lot of guys on the team struggled, especially in the outfield in 2020, and it was that big home run and, and I believe an extra base hit in addition on the final day of the season that boosted Harrison from basically a slightly below average offensive player for the entire season to an above average one because of how small the sample size was. So, you know, that was something that got a lot of conversation in the offseason with people talking about, oh, if he hadn't had that great game at the end, he would be this or he would be that. You know, he's no good. And, and you know, everybody's got their own narratives that they want to drive. But right now, Bader is driving his own narrative and, and showing that he definitely has some pop in that bat. He's two for two in stolen base opportunities. He's making things happen. And once again, you talk about a guy batting seventh or eighth, that kind of production, you're not going to find that on any other team in the league. I'm serious. 887 OPS, I, I think anybody batting 7th or 8th on you know any of the other clubs, National League, American League, I don't really care, who, who is going to finish the year with an 887 OPS, I, don't think, I just don't think it's going to happen. Not one guy will do it. Granted, Harrison Bader probably will not do it, but you got to give him credit for the hot start that he's off to. On base percentage, you'd like to be a little bit higher maybe. 324 is where he's at. Um, you know, with the guy that has speed like he does, you'd think that maybe you don't have to sell out for the power. It's something we've talked about with him in the past. He doesn't have to be the home run guy. If he can get on base more often, make things happen with his legs. But listen, you're not going to decry the home runs and, and say, no, thanks. We, we don't need him when the guy's hitting them. And when he's not sacrificing at the plate, as far as contact is concerned, if his strikeouts remain relatively low, then there's no problem there. I mean, five strikeouts and 32 at bats, uh, with a few walks, so he's on pace. If you multiply that all by three, that's fewer than 15 strikeouts per 100 plate appearances. Multiply that by six. That's not even cracking 100 strikeouts in what would be a 600 plate appearance season if you were to play the full full year. 
So right now, with what he's doing plate discipline-wise, uh, this is some encouraging stuff, in my opinion, from Bader. And once again, the threshold, I think, should be a lot lower for what expectations are, or maybe not expectations, because Harrison Bader's proven that he's a talented player, so you, you're okay to expect and ask of him to, to do this or that and set goals as a, as a fan base or as a team that they're setting internally for this guy. But I would say that the Cardinals don't need, they're not desperate for him to do anything more than he's been doing, certainly, as one of the more productive hitters on the team so far. Uh, and so holding down center field, if he's able to continue even on, on close to the pace that he's been on, you're going to be pretty satisfied with that. Dylan Carlson, another guy who's really coming along nicely, hasn't had quite the numbers as far as power is concerned. Just the three home runs, if you extrapolate that out to the course of a full season, you're really only looking in maybe the 12 to 16 homer range for Dylan with the pace that he's on. And remember, all those home runs pretty much came at the beginning of the season for him because I believe his first three hits, I know the first two were, but the home runs all piled up early on him when he was having some trouble as far as contact goes. It's kind of the opposite of what you expected. Now he's settled into that dominating contact style of player that you know he can be batting 303 with a 380 on base, but he's not had the power numbers as of late. I don't think that's too big of a concern. He's batting in that two hole, uh, taking a page maybe out of Paul Goldschmidt's book, who has said, you know, when I'm in the two hole, I, I take a different mentality to the plate. I want to get on base for the big guys in the middle. And maybe Dylan is just kind of taking some of that element into his game since moving into the number two hole. I don't think you can say anything negative about what he's been accomplishing so far. The strikeouts are a little bit too high, 33 Ks. Uh, but again, you talk about extrapolating that out. That's probably only in maybe the 150 range over the course of a full season. Uh, so it's not great, but it's not something that has never been heard of before in, in the present day game. Uh, so, you know, it just kind of is what it is there. Yadier Molina striking out more than he normally does, though. He talked about on Sunday, his mom does not like it when he strikes out. She hates to lose, and she hates to see him strike out. Otherwise, I don't think she's so much worried about what he does individually. Just put the ball in play and make sure your team comes away with a win. But 17 strikeouts for Yachty in just 21 games, uh, 73 at-bats. Has a few walks in there, so the, the uh, plate appearances would be a little bit higher. But that's definitely a rate closer to 25%, more than you, you would typically see from him in most of his seasons of his career. Though if the conversation we're having here is about what the Cardinals could do at the trade deadline, we don't really need to mention Yadier Molina. He's having a great offensive start to the season. He is the Cardinals franchise catcher. They're not doing anything at catcher. <laughs> They're doing just fine there. So let's get back on track with talking about the outfield. Carlson Bader, I think two of those three expectations are either being met or exceeded at this point in time. But then you talk about left field. Tyler O'Neill has had his moments, to be sure. He's shown the power that he's capable of, of, of putting into any game at any point in time. Five home runs, 12 runs driven in in 24 games, 79 at-bats. The OPS, just 742. Uh, that's right around average. And, and from left field, that's typically a spot you'd like to see a little bit more pop going on. Uh, it's really, for him, the 468 slug is, is pretty much fine as well. But an OBP as low as 274, you'd like to see him inject a little bit more of the the walks into his game as opposed to the strikeouts. 27 Ks, two walks. And again, I want to contrast that with what Bader has done because he's a guy that gets that reputation for being someone who chases bad pitches and strikes out too much. 5 Ks to four walks for Bader. Uh, you know, taking double the number of walks compared to O'Neill in, in fewer than half the at-bats at this point in time for Bader. So, 
would like to see O'Neal get a little bit closer to that mark. And you could see potentially with, with the kind of boom-bust nature that he brings at times. And look, I, I'd love for him to be boom, boom, boom. I don't, you know, find a way to get the bust out of your game and or, or minimize it to where you don't go on prolonged stretches. And he's, like, I, I'm not trying to rip the guy. He's actually had a pretty solid start to this season, uh, especially as of late, coming out of a, a little bit of a slump in the beginning of the year before he went on the injured list with the groin pole and then came back and has done a pretty nice job since then. But the underlying numbers, when you talk about contact rates and things like strikeouts to walk, uh, that's an area where he could definitely stand to improve. You know he's going to give you good defense in left field, but if I just look across the diamond, and, and we could talk about the infield, but you know Goldie's at first. Yes, he's got to be better than he's been. Uh, started to heat up a little bit over the weekend, uh, but he's your first baseman. Arenado's at third. Tommy Edmonds done a sensational job so far at second base, uh, doing a wonderful job defensively. And as far as offense, he's OPSing at 750, but the OBP right around 350. You like to see that from a leadoff guy. Uh, he's actually been able to take a few more walks so far uh, compared to his strikeout, 16 Ks and 11 walks. So not a bad ratio there. Uh, and he's hitting 289. So he's right in the mix for having a real nice season as the Cardinals leadoff hitter. Uh, the 401 slug, it's not super high, but he's your leadoff guy. He's, his job is to get on base hit extra base hits when he when he gets them and, and be able to score runs for this Cardinals team. And that's something that he's done so far, having scored 17 so far, uh, places him pretty pretty much in the top four or five of the team. Could be a little bit higher, uh, but some of that has to do with the guys behind you like Goldschmidt needing to get going a little bit more, though he's scored 23 runs to tie Dylan Carlson for the team lead. So what do I know? Granted, some of those runs were scored when he was in that position at the two hole to kind of set things up for the middle of the order and now he is the middle of the order since they made the switch with Dylan there so more run production from Goldie you'd like to probably see but he's going to be fine he's Paul Goldschmidt he typically heats up when the weather does you're not going to be worried about him at all the other conversation on the infield is Paul DeYoung who has gotten off to a slower start with regard to batting average just 186 and the slugging percentage below 400 despite the fact that he leads the team with seven home runs 17 runs driven in. That's a weird batting line. It's, it's not very Paul DeYoung-like, but we then again, we've seen him slump toward the ends of seasons that have depressed his OPS, his numbers on the whole. Uh, you know, j- just where he's looking at right now as far as on-base percentage, 284, that's pretty impressive when you consider he's batting 186. Like, he's still taking 15 walks so far this season. Uh, the strikeouts are a little too high, but... That's pretty much everybody. But his 15 walks actually leads the Cardinals to this point in the season. Without that, he'd really be struggling as far as OPS. He's sitting at 673 as it is. Be a lot lower if he didn't have those 15 walks to go into that total. Uh, But the the contact rate is just not there. He's been a, a, a real three true outcomes guy. Leading the Cardinals in home runs. Leading the Cardinals in walks. And though he's not leading in strikeouts, that's actually Goldschmidt who struck out 38 times on the season. Uh, Paul DeYoung just behind him, two behind Dylan Carlson, actually. So Paulie D sitting third on the team in case. But that's kind of been the story of his season so far. And if he can just more regularly make contact, you're going to see DeYoung be a guy that is a legitimate force in the middle of the order and an all-star caliber player. Like, you see the glimpses of it with the fact that he's been able to hit seven home runs so far this season. Again, we're doing the extrapolating game. If we've played about six weeks so far this season, maybe multiply by five or so, that's certainly clearing 30 home runs on the season, 33 to 35, somewhere in that range, if he were to continue on the pace that he's on. 
But that's like Joey Gallo numbers. You don't want to see 186 with your batting average. Paul DeYoung, I think, knows he can be better than that, and ideally he'll kind of settle into that as the season goes along. But the reason I talk about Paul DeYoung with such uh, extent is I don't think the Cardinals are looking to make a move at shortstop. I think having him under contract, trusting what he does defensively, the fact that he has been able to run into a few and send him out of the ballpark for the seven homers so far this season – yeah, he's got a low batting average. The OPS is, is not where it needs to be, and he probably shouldn't be you know, your number five hitter as often as he has been, even up number six sometimes in the order. But part of that is keeping everybody else in the batting lineup comfortable as well. Mike Schilt doesn't tend to like to do things just to, to do things unless a shakeup is really required. He, he's okay with things being stagnant for a little bit if the Cardinals are winning and things are going well for the team. And if he thinks a shakeup needs to happen at some point in time, then, you know, you sometimes will see that happen a little bit more gradually. Uh, so I don't know that Paul DeYoung's getting bumped down to seventh or anything like that because of the low batting average. But I, I also don't think that he's he's at any jeopardy of losing his job, certainly in the middle of the season, uh, with, with some sort of outside addition at the trade deadline. Shortstop's also kind of a hard position to trade for. Um, and, and the other element of that is if you had an injury to DeYoung or you – you really did see him continue to slump. Theoretically, you could maybe move Tommy Edmond there for, for some games. I don't think you'd want him there every day, but if you had to try to mix things up and make things happen, that could potentially be a way to do it. Uh, all that to say, if you look at maybe one spot in the batting order that could potentially receive a boost, not that I'm anticipating a trade would happen, but left field does seem to be uh, pending what Tyler O'Neill is able to do over the next couple of months the position to watch. I think O'Neill could absolutely take hold of the job and and be in a position that come July, nobody's even questioning his role in the everyday lineup. But we've seen Justin Williams kind of sprinkled in over the last few days in the starting lineup instead of O'Neill. And so we'll, we'll see how he's able to take command of the job. Uh, Williams has not been able to take command of the job, hitting 182, uh, his OPS lower than anybody we've talked about so far down there at 583. Uh, another guy who's shown a little bit of pop has three home runs, but the, the strikeout's just too high. He's got 30, 30 strikeouts and far fewer at-bats than DeYoung or Carlson or Goldschmidt have had. So uh, you, you haven't seen him make contact on a consistent enough basis either. But knowing that you could potentially shuffle the outfield how it needs to be if there were a big bat somewhere on the trade market to be acquired, that that's just why I say it's a position to, to keep an eye on in case, you know, an injury could happen. You could lose any one of these outfielders, and that could totally change the trajectory. You remember how early on the first few weeks of the season when you didn't have Bader and then O'Neill was down for a little while, the the outfield, especially defensively, didn't look very good. It just didn't look right. They weren't comfortable. They weren't making the routine plays that needed to be made, and, and offensively the production wasn't there either. So right now the outfield looking pretty good, especially with O'Neill on the upswing as of late and, and the other two guys doing their job, but... If it turns out to where you lose one of those three, you can see how it could potentially go downhill pretty quickly, and the Cardinals could then, if that situation were to arise, that could definitely be a spot where they would want to target come July 31st. Checking back in, though, on the trade market potentially, what outfielders could be out there available that the Cardinals could have interest in, I'm still banging the drum for for Joey Gallo. I think that would be, if the Cardinals were really going to try to make something happen and go for it, that would be the play to me. I don't know what it would cost and if the cost would be worth it. 
You know, you don't necessarily want to trade from your outfield if you have three outfielders that are going strong. It's all going to become a moot point. But if injuries happen or, or you do have a, a hole in one of those three spots that offensively, defensively, whatever, you're just trying to, to fill value out of that spot. I think what offensively Joey Gallo brings could definitely be of interest. Though right now the Rangers, sitting at 18-18, and 18, they're in fourth in their division, but they've won seven of their last ten, uh, definitely with two wild cards in, in each league. Premature for them to consider selling. They've definitely uh, played, I think, a little bit above their heads, above what the expectations have been for them. The Angels are actually the team in last place in that AL West. Everybody else is sitting at 500 or above. And so it could be that Texas Rangers not looking to trade Joey Gallo when push comes to shove. However, if that were to end up being the case, I think he'd be a really, really interesting get. And you talk about the Cardinals, and he would be arbitration eligible for 2022 and then become a free agent in 2023. And that might even be after 2023. He might even have two years left of arbitration after this season. Um, No, he would become a free agent for 2023, I believe is the case. Sometimes I get mixed up reading baseball reference. But anyway, 229 batting average, yeah, that's not super great. But six home runs, you like that? 381 on base percentage, you like that? 788 for the OPS. He hasn't been slugging. We talked about this the last time I brought him up on the podcast. The slugging is barely above the on-base percentage, but that's because he takes a lot of walks, and uh, he's just a a pretty well-rounded guy in this age of batting averages don't matter that much. He's a guy who, yeah, he's going to hit probably 220, 230, whatever, and if he's hitting above that, look out because it means he's doing some pretty special things. Last season was the year after which you would want to have traded for him because he hit 181 and was not looking like the superstar caliber player that he did in 2019 when he was an all-star, had a 986 OPS. He combined a 253 average that year. Again, nothing super special, but a career high for him. And you look at the way that impacted the rest of his batting line. 389 on base was his career high and a 598 slug, another career high, OPSing near 1,000. He was really special in that season, despite the fact that he missed a lot of the campaign due to injury in the second half. And so maybe 2020 was still kind of shaking the rust off a bit. Uh, Looking pretty good and well-rounded so far this season. The strikeouts are one thing, though, that you would know. You know, if you talk about, you know, Justin Williams, Paul DeYoung, Goldsmith, these guys striking out too much, this dude will show you how to strike out leading the league with 53 so far uh, and definitely on a pace where he could be above 200, which he's done once in his career already. So for the people who are like, no, I've seen enough strikeouts. I don't care about that. I don't, I don't need that in my life. Uh, totally understand. But in, in four of his last five seasons, counting 2021 as one of the four, uh, he has been an above average hitter and by 10% or more in most of those seasons, looking through his OPS plus 118, 109, 145, then in 2020 last season when he struggled was just 83. So he's 17% below average that year. But right now sitting at 123, despite the fact that he's only slugging 407. And so I think Gallo, as he gets going, is going to be able to raise those numbers more likely than not. And he actually won a gold glove last year. <laughs> I talked about defensively, and I remembered him not necessarily being that great of a fielder. But hey, last year when the metrics were, were having their say about it, he ends up winning a gold glove in the American League. I think that would have been as a right fielder, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember if he primarily played right or left last year. Yeah, he played right field. He's played left before. If the Cardinals were to trade for him, that's probably where he'd be. And again, this is not the most relevant conversation to be having in early May, but hey, it's an off day, 
Uh, Shelby wanted to know what I thought about potential trades. Uh, I think Joey Gallo offensively remains a, a name that's pretty interesting to me. Uh, on the pitching side, that kind of really bakes into whether or not Miles Michaelis returns as the guy that, that he has been previously for the Cardinals. Uh, you know, he's, he's having the, the rehab assignments. He's on that track at Memphis looking to get back to the team probably within the, the next couple of weeks, I would think, after maybe a couple more starts down at Memphis. What would he be able to do? Can he be the innings eater that he once has been for the Cardinals over previous seasons? Uh, you know, that remains to be seen, certainly. But if he's healthy, I don't see any reason why not. You know, that's always been his style of game, a strike thrower. Uh, maybe the effectiveness isn't going to be at its peak, like the 2.83 ERA that he had in his debut season in St. Louis. Uh, the next year, 2019, a little bit of a struggle for him uh, relative to his first year. ERA was just about four, I think a little bit above four, but the innings were still there, and that can be really valuable. If you slot him in as your, I don't even want to say number three, but maybe number four starter, uh, and that's asking maybe for Carlos Martinez to, to bounce back from his recent struggle because if Carlos is pitching more like he did in the, the couple previous outings before the last one and less like he did in the last one where he got back to walking guys and giving up the crooked numbers, uh, he could be a very capable number three, as we've talked about. We've seen Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright be more than capable as your one and two. Interchangeable, order them however you want. Don't really have to decide what the real order is until you get into the postseason. Uh, but I think those two guys, stacking it with Carlos, if he's on his game, and adding potentially an innings eater like Michaelis toward the back of that rotation. And then you know you got Kwon Young Kim in there as well. John Gant has found a way to, to grit and guile his way to about five innings per start and only given up one or two runs. So he's kept the team in the game whenever he's made his start. So I'm not looking too strongly necessarily at what it could look like as far as a, a move at the trade deadline for a pitcher. But again, if we're talking about going big and going for broke, the Washington Nationals are in last place. And if that remains, Max Scherzer would be the, the play. And just like with Gallo, a, I don't know who, you, who you'd rather see. I, in my opinion, it's probably Scherzer, even though I think the Cardinals' rotation can still be a strength if they remain healthy. Just the idea of, of what that guy, that bulldog, could mean in a postseason series if you lined up Flaherty, Scherzer, Wainwright. And, and, you know, not that you wouldn't want to use the other guys, but you wouldn't really need to use the other guys. You'd probably have to pick a fourth when you get into the seven-game series, but that would just be really, really fun. And given that he's... A little bit up there in age, you know what? I, what what potentially could could the cost be? Uh, the Nationals at, at some point in time. I, I'm not exactly sure on what his contract situation is, but the Nationals, if that's really what what it comes down to, they might just be happy to try to get rid of some of that contract. Um, and, and he is signed until just the end of this year, so he's a free agent. Uh, they're not going to end up having him beyond this year unless they they sign him to a new contract. That would be really interesting to me. And it's not like he's been a lifelong national. He signed a long contract there, and it's 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 coming up with him being in his age 36 season. But his ERA is 2.33 in 46 innings. He's been able to strike out 61. He looks like Max Scherzer to me. That would be really, really fun. And, again, I don't think starting pitching right now is a need for the Cardinals, but one or two injuries later, and it certainly could be, so just something to keep in mind if you're talking about – if you want me to talk about trades, that's what I talk about. Those are the two guys 
Uh, for me, I don't think you, you mess up clubhouse chemistry for anything less than adding somebody significant, at least with the way the team looks right now. If they end up you know, falling off in certain areas, and you could say, ah, they need a depth move, uh, kind of a bench guy, a bullpen guy. You know, bullpen could certainly be a need with the injuries they've experienced there, but I don't really have any targets in mind just yet for what that's going to look like. But otherwise, if you're making a trade, man, go go big. Go big or go home. Max Scherzer, Joey Gallo, those would certainly be big moves. I shudder to think about what you lose in the farm system if, if you did get either or both of those guys. But, I mean, imagine getting both of those guys. You would basically be saying to the Dodgers, the Padres, hey, we have intentions to win this National League. Thank you for participating, but uh, it's going to be ours this year. I mean, that that would be the message you'd be trying to send, and I think that would be a pretty favorable and popular message within the Cardinals clubhouse. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's fun to talk about, but we know we've got a long way to go before those kinds of conversations, if ever they do take place, would begin to heat up. But that's kind of what my thoughts are on the trade conversations as we could potentially look forward to the future, to what the Cardinals might potentially want to do a couple months from now. I appreciate Shelby for dropping into the DMs, at bshafer12 for asking the question, getting the uh, the ball rolling on the trade conversations today, and would love for you guys to do the same. If you ever have anything you want to drop me a line, my DMs are always open on Twitter, at bshafer12. Another way you can reach me, leave a voicemail message onto the show itself by going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. Record your own audio, and I'll play it on the podcast as I answer your question or respond to your commentary, whatever you have to talk about with regards to Cardinals baseball or whatever else is going on. And, of course, want to take a quick mention here before the end of the show. New thing starting back up again. We did it last year for a little while. But you'll hear the Anchor ad. I think the way we're going to do it is before each show. Uh, that's one way that gets me a little bit of uh, monetary compensation for doing the podcast. I've been doing this as something that I would like to eventually build into you know, part of my portfolio and, and, and making contributions to, uh, to my earnings from it. But that hasn't really been the case recently. We're still in the stage of trying to build things up. And so that's why we'd love to have you tell your friends about the show, for one. But the other aspect of that is we'd love for you guys to just uh, sit tight through that ad at the beginning of the episodes. It would mean a lot to me if you're able to do that. Uh, really do appreciate you guys for listening. And for everybody who is subscribed to Be Shaped Daily, it means a lot to me. If you haven't done so already, we'd love to get you on board. You can head on over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of those other hubs uh, that you can find at anchor.fm slash bshafer12 in the More Platforms tab, and we'd love to get you guys signed up so that anytime we have an episode that goes live, you will be notified on whatever app you use, and you'll be able to listen to the show at your leisure. Appreciate you guys immensely for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on Be Shaped Daily.